All right, Kev, we're back. We're back after another exciting weekend of both golf and playoffs uh, in the NBA. NHL is still going on. It's a pretty exciting sports period in general. We got a lot to get to tonight. We got to recap the Wells Fargo. We got to preview the Byron Nelson. There's been some just random news in the world of golf today. Um, you know, but before we get there, what's going on, dude? How's it going? I know you had a big weekend, big bachelor party. How'd it go? You still surviving out here? Yep, still surviving. Uh, it's good to be back recording on Monday night. As I mentioned to you, you know, off the air, it feels like it's been a long time since we recorded. It really hasn't, but I guess I just uh, had a lot going on this week. Yep, up in New Hampshire for a bachelor party, so that was a lot of fun. I could, I confirm I did not drink one ounce of water, I don't think, for about 36 straight hours, so... <laughs> That's a little rougher on the, you know, the mid thirties body than it used to be, but, um, but we bounced back and, um, back and, and good to go. It unfortunately meant I was, uh, pretty busy. I got to play some golf, but I really did not watch very much golf, uh, over the weekend at all. So I'm kind of oblivious to, to what happened. I know Wyndham Clark won, um, I just sort of checked the leaderboard on Sunday, but I don't know. How about you? How was your weekend? Did you get to watch any golf? All good. Watch watch a bunch of the golf. There wasn't much going on Sunday. The uh, the C's game, as we all know, was right in the smack dab of the, the final round, which ended up really not being super climactic anyway. You know, we'll we'll get to that. But, you know, in the name of the Celtics and whatnot, I know we've been outlawed by um, a few of our friends and by ourselves. We can no longer hold podcasts on Celtics game nights because they, they've lost in just disgusting fashion on both the times that we've tried to, like, lead into the Celtics game. So we're not going to do that, but we are going to uh, incorporate the NBA a little bit. Uh, Kevin and I talked earlier, and this is not – we did not cross-check these lists, but what we're going to try to do is give an NBA comp in the golf world, sort of in the spirit of the NBA playoffs. And I know I had a pretty good amount of fun and I'd say a, a good balance between fun and difficulty trying to find some matches for dudes, but I feel like I got I got six on my list, I think – Four of them are on point, and I stretch pretty hard with two of them. So we'll see how it goes. Do you want to uh, you want to lead off that assignment, or do you want me to take the lead? I, I can start. Yep, I have a total of five. Um, yeah, I, it, it was a lot of fun. It was a, a little difficult. So I think this is my sort of thought on this: is that like there's only so many like recognizable like personality golfers to like the world sort of as a whole so to keep it to sort of those guys was a bit of a challenge but uh but i guess we'll see how we did okay um let's see who do i want to start with okay i will start with uh somebody that i would okay i would be surprised if this golfer was not on your list you can let me know in a second but the first one i'm gonna go with is james harden and patrick reed were my two that I compared. So this is a interesting one for me. A uh, couple reasons I did this comparison. Number one, uh, obviously the Patrick Reed like unanimous hate is unprecedented sort of golf in the golf world. You know, like he's almost pretty much universally hated by anyone who sort of follows and watches golf. I think his Q score is quite low. I'd say. I don't know if Harden has that quite same of hate. I, I certainly hate him uh, that much. I don't know if he's like universally hated that much. Uh, so that did it a little bit for me. Also, the cheat, of course, the cheating aspect is one of the main things you think of with Pat Reed. Yep. And I think the equivalent of that or the way you can do that in basketball, like it's kind of tough to just come out and blatantly cheat. But you can, yeah, you can yeah. use obviously the rules especially the way the NBA used to be called to your advantage. And nobody does that better than Harden in terms of like calling, you know, um, Freaking getting flopping ridiculous and yeah, flopping and, and ridiculous offensive right. foul calls. And then also the uh, both been known to be a touch overweight at times. So uh, for that reason as well, I went with those two. I love it. I love it. So I didn't have the golfer on the list, but I had that basketball player and I'm not going to, I'm not going to go right into his cause it's not one of the ones I felt great about, but I can't wait until you see how different the golfer is for him. Just totally in a different direction, but I like that. And I didn't, you know, as soon as you said, like he flops and he embellishes and he like manipulates the rules in that way, like it all clicks for me. I don't know how I didn't think about that aspect of his game, but I did it. So I, I really like that. And then, yeah, the uh, they both do carry. They both play themselves into shape throughout the season. Let's just put it put it that way. <laughs> Patrick Reed a little bit more than uh, than Harden. But 
Yeah, I like that. And obviously he's he's a little bit on the shit list because he actually has decided to like play basketball a few times this series. And um, yeah, I've always I don't want to make this an NBA podcast here. I've always like super loved his like offense and thought like he's like his defense is so effortless and the flopping takes out a lot and he's not in shape and he has like, you know, he's forced his way off a bunch of teams. So I think his offense has always been underappreciated. So I'll even continue the metaphor and say like Patrick Reed's cheating overshadows what I think is actually like incredibly, incredibly like all time good around the green putter short game player um, to that extent as well. So I, I like that. I like that comp in, in many ways. Just, um, just Harden's rise too, from like the six, the six man role at OKC and then to obviously come at like just showing what he has offensively, but that, yeah, that's a great point. Is that like these guys almost, you know, I don't know, maybe six, seven years ago, were like universally loved also yeah. like both of them, I think. Yeah. Right. Right. To sort of growing into the roles that they've been in has been the interesting sort of turning point, but yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right. I love that. My, my number one is, uh, is going to be personal to us. Probably it's certainly personal to me. And it is Jordan Spieth comparison to Marcus Smart. And this is the way I'm going with both of them. You can't live with them. You can't live without them. Both of them, especially Marcus Smart probably applies more. But Marcus Smart in a basketball game does 10 things every single game, including last night, where I'm just like, dude, what? Why are you doing that right now? Like, I just feel like he takes some of the most ill-advised, like, like early shot clock threes, like, and stops momentum and, you know, flops and gives up an open three or makes some stupid ass pass and does like the most 10 most boneheaded things. But I, you know, while that infuriates me and has infuriated me for years, like I've learned to live with it because at some point in the game, he makes like the most unique clutch diving play or grabs a loose ball or keeps a rebound alive or hits a clutch three. But for last night, had two opportunities to, to do it, but couldn't do it last night. And I feel like speed is the same way. Like they're both just big swinging players in both directions, like the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And you've seen it with speed, like playing well all season. Um, and then, you know, misses the cup by like seven shots this week or something like that. Um, and just his game in general is just like, you know, a brilliant short game shot that only had to be necessitated because he pulled driver off the deck on like a par, you know, a par four, like dog leg. Um, and I feel like, yeah, they, they both just have such a high risk, high reward, but also just their mistakes are always to me just like dumb mental errors. Um, but both like very unique players, both have like other than to just say they just argue, they just have a really weird ability to make like a clutch play when it when it needs to happen. I don't know how else you would describe like smart skills. Like he obviously has skills, but like his best quality is somehow he will find a way to make some cool, crazy play to make up for all of his dumb errors earlier in the game. So that was my yeah. number one. Like I said, that's that's personal to me because I've I've gone back and forth on smart and speed. A million times and they both happen to be in like the good side right now so i'm glad i could fit them both together i like that so spieth was somebody i tried to pair and i was not able to find a match so i like that i didn't even consider uh marcus smart honestly i tried to pair both uh tatum and uh, jalen and jalen brown but, about yeah I, I just i also and i'm glad you mentioned the us being banned from the celtics talk because i i decided just to go with that and not discuss no Celtics allowed yeah. no Celtics yeah I just want no Celtics yeah. with it just to be on the safe side <laughs> okay let's see who do I got next um okay my next one is gonna be Jokic and John Rom okay so couple um reasons for this one obviously like I think they both obviously are like um dominant in their skill set, but then also like in their stature, obviously just the way that they like command themselves, not but sort of, you know, not the same media presence, I guess the kind of stark difference there, but um, I don't know, John, like, I, I guess I really liked uh, what happened the other night or what night was, I guess that was Sunday. Right? Night, so right? like, yeah, last night. With the sun's so, owner you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So he got, uh, and that, that whole like scene was wild. Like, just uh the way that like 
you know, he tried to keep the ball from him. And then like, like it was just so easy for Jokic just to like, like the way that he like, yeah. sho- like it wasn't even a shove in my opinion. He just like put his elbow right. into his shot. And of course, like the huge flop, like he's been watching a ton of NBA, obviously. But you know what it reminded me of? You remember like back in, uh, this was probably like my first memorable sports meme. Then when, this was before like memes were even a thing, but back in like 2004 with the Red Sox Yankees, when when Veritek and A Rod like got into yes. it in that, and they yeah. started like yeah, like, and then, like the face push, and A- yeah. yeah, and then A Rod got like or like the uh yeah like the face push, and then he also had I don't know if this was a different moment where he like slapped the ball out of uh, oh shit yeah, that was a, that was during the comeback right like yeah yeah, 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 yeah. The, I know what you're talking about I forget so then, what like someone was, like. But- he was like, I was running. I was running. Yeah. yeah. Someone like photoshopped the purse like into his like arm or something yeah. like that. So it reminded me of that where like he like tried, he like tried to like slap at him or like flop. It was just like the most. So yeah, I don't know. It just reminds me like it seems like wrong. Obviously tough to have that kind of like physical interaction in goal. But John Rom's like dominance over the last, I'll call it like four or five months. Uh, and like his just the way like his commentary and the way he seems like so confident and in control of his game is about the most like imposing will and manner you can have sort of in the golf game i think so that sort of reminded me of that as well i like that i like that and you'll hear you'll hear joker's name in a little bit too because i have him with a different a different golfer as well in the same in the same vein though but i gotta get to my next my next one that i thought was on point and i got ricky fowler and clay thompson as as a comparison and here's sort of my thought on this both started off extremely hot uh both have championships both have won and then clay due to injury and ricky due to you know not being good at golf anymore really sort of fell off for a few years and just you know we're big personalities but we're not making impacts on the court and on the course um and now both are having sort of a career resurgence uh now you know ricky's in the top 50 again um but i guess more than that is sort of just their demeanor on the course and on the court, like both just cannot be phased by anything good or bad. And I watched, um, I watched Ricky this weekend. He was on in one of the featured groups that I was watching um, for one of my guys. I forget who this week at quail hollow. And on one of the par fives, he um, drove the ball into the water on the first shot on the right. And I want to say it's number 12 that has sort of that, that inlet green. And then from there takes a drop and then hits his third uh, short of the green by like 20 yards in the water too. Uh, so is now like blowing up and facing double bogey, but you know, you look at his face and he just like, you know, grabs his water bottle from his caddy, opens it up and starts like walking calmly to his next shot. There's just like no hurry, no worry whatsoever. Um, and I feel like that's how clay is too. Just like a super low key guy. Um, very calm, obviously very, very talented. Um, and you know, I feel like if we're going to play, uh, you know, and be sort of the evil comparison a little bit. I think Clay sort of like career overrated a little bit. And I'd say Ricky, the same thing for being like, you know, he's a, he's a major winner, um, but not like, I would never put him among the discussion of like the great players of an error, uh, an era, I would say. And I almost think like he maybe gets more, more buzz because of his coolness um, for lack of a better word, like because of the style, because of the, the attitude, just the personality than maybe his game deserves at times, especially in this slump. Like, you know, even when he was barely making, you know, barely entering golf tournaments, he's still in the featured groups and still like, you know, part of the headlines. So I'll do it posit mostly 95% for the positive comparison there, but 5% for the, for the negative comparison too, for, uh, for Clay and Ricky. Okay. Yeah, that's good. I, I did not even think of Clay Thompson, but that's a good, uh, good sort of partner for Ricky follower there. I did have Ricky, uh, but I paired him, him with someone else. So I will go with that one now. So I did Ricky and Pat Beverly for a lot of the same, like career overrated. Oh, like, all right. Nice. Reasons that you that did. Too, they're just polar opposite. Like, exact, like personality, <laughs> like nothing alike at all. But like, in terms of like a guy that is like a huge social media presence, like very recognizable, but, and I hate to do this. I, I don't mind doing it at all to Pat Beverly, but I hate doing it yeah. to Ricky Fowler. Cause I do, I, as much as he is like, you know, o- overly popular and, and, um, you know, too, the social media is almost too much at times. I do really like his demeanor and his personality and the way he goes about things on the golf course. Um, but you would have to say that given the hype 
that he had from the moment he became a professional golfer, he has un- underperformed in his career, certainly uh, to what you would have hoped or expected. So uh, yeah, just unfortunately in a negative light, just a touch, touch overrated for both of them there, I would say. I like it. I'm glad we see that the same way. I felt bad sort of throwing that. That wasn't part of like the notes I wanted to touch on, but then I was like, oh, you know what? I got to be honest here and just give some of the, some of the negative too. Cause I do like Ricky a lot. Um, all right. I got one, one more unique one before I get into the ones that I've sort of mixed with you. And it's Rory McIlroy and Kevin Durant. And here's my, my comparison there. Some of it should be obvious where like, you know, at the peak of their powers, you're talking about one of the all-time greats of the game, both of them, both of them now still like my personal belief is when KD is at the the top of his game and healthy, like he's the best player in the world. And I do feel that about Rory too. Um, and here, but here's where the comparison sort of really made sense for me is they're both multiple time champions, but are still like universally disrespected in that regard. Like both of them have sort of have like not asterisks by their, by their championships, but like Rory hasn't won in so long that it sort of like overshadows his previous wins and Durant sort of won by joining, you know, an already established team. So that sort of overshadows his greatness a little bit too. And then I also just think they're both just um, a little bit sensitive when it comes to criticism and when it comes to clapping back at people. Um, I sort of think Durant does it a little more consistently than Rory, which makes me think it's more, um, he may have a little more fun with it than Rory Rory does. I think, I, I guess is what I'm trying to get at, but both of them like go way over the top sometimes. And it's just like, do you really need to acknowledge like this, like so much, like, is it bugging you that much? But yeah, both, both uniquely like historically talented players that just, uh, yeah, are disrespected. And, and like I said, are a little bit sensitive. So that was my, uh, that was my next unique comp from, uh, from anybody that you've had. Okay, yeah, I had Rory as well, but paired with somebody different. I have also one more unique one, so I'll hit that one first, and then I'll go back to Rory after you do your next one. Um, Okay, my last unique one is Bryson DeChambeau and Ben Simmons. So for these reasons... (laughs) Really good one. That's a really good one. For for these reasons, just like uh, incredibly... Uh, more so Bryson than Ben Simmons, I would say, but, but incredibly popular, like just a recognizable name that people, that people know a lot of hype at the beginnings of their career, especially, you know, when you think about Bryson, when there's certain golfers, like, like there's maybe five golfers that I can name that people who know almost nothing about golf or never watch are like recognizable names, right? It's like Tiger, uh, Rory, Ricky Fowler. And like Bryson's probably one of those top five guys that like just everybody knows. And it's just, I mean, his, his personality, I, I don't know, like he, th- there was a time, especially, you know, when, when all the stuff, the COVID really was it when he was coming out with all of these videos of like, obviously for number one, he started with the science stuff, which is just like, obviously a complete ploy. Like, dude, you're not like calculating like, gr- like vectors you're, on the green. You're not right. a genius. You're a professional <laughs> golfer, not a genius, man. And like, then he kind of like, just be a genius. And he kind of went away from that road, like, and went into the whole bulking thing and obviously trying to like just smash the ball as long as he could. And that was obviously drawing a lot of hype as well. But then obviously we've seen the poor play and, and as he compares to like Ben Simmons, just everything is an excuse or everything is someone else's fault or everything is like, I can't play for this reason. Like just uh, everyone seems to be like so fed up. And I know I certainly am with Ben Simmons doesn't really bother me as much. I just don't watch as much NBA. So he doesn't, I don't really care about him that much, but Bryson is somebody that really gets under my skin just (laughs) with his antics and things like that. And you know, I think also from the aspect of like you would, you know, Bryson obviously is a major winner and, and Ben Simmons is a great talent, but I think both you would say have also underperformed uh, to this point as well. So, yeah, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. I mean, you said popularity and popularity doesn't always mean like positivity either. You know, like they both are very popular, maybe not in a great way figures. Like I just feel like every time Ben Simmons is missing another game, it's like the first, you know, headline in every sports show even though he really doesn't have the results to back up that much like Bryson, like Bryson hasn't been a a good golfer since COVID started, actually since before COVID started, honestly. So yeah, maybe, maybe the headlines and the the recognizability don't match the talent. Um, All right. Here's, here's a mixed one. Here's my first mixed one of somebody that you've already said. uh, And it's Jokic with Scotty Scheffler. 
And it is for, you know, we'll keep it sort of short because you already hit on, on the Joker. It's just the unorthodoxness of the game sort of matched up for me. Like Scheffler's sort of swing and footwork and everything a little bit, you know, unique and one of a kind and not really seen before and certainly not how you draw it up in the textbook. And I feel like Jokic, same thing. Like a, you know, dude can't jump, isn't fast, uh, isn't like cut, isn't a physical specimen, um, but it's just like so good, so good. And I feel like Scotty's the same thing. Like they're both among, you know, depending on who you ask, the, either the best player or the top three best players, Scotty is, Jokic is. So I, I like that comparison because of their, because of their unorthodox, uh, you know, form in their play, both on the course and on the court. Yeah, Scotty and Rom would definitely like my lap, my final two in, in pairing with him. So, um, yeah, I, I almost went with that one as well. Okay, my other crossover one is I have Rory McIlroy, but I paired him with LeBron James. So, mm. oh, for a lot of the same reasons you compared him with KD, um, obviously, like elite world talent, one of the best to ever do it of all time. Um, but yeah, it's been a, a few years. I think LeBron won his last championship in. 2020 Bubble. the covid yeah the covid championship and rory like hasn't really won I, I mean he's been he's been winning but like for i think if you're trying to compare sport to sport right like it's got to be a major rory, at least in rory my needs to win major. like yeah, yeah winning a major is equivalent to winning like the nba finals i would say so you know he, he just hasn't been doing that in a few years and and that's what's what's very disappointing and then for a lot of the same reasons um you know you said about about kd is that just like really I think just listens to the chatter too much. Like he, we've, and we've seen it a lot recently, like, and we've seen it with LeBron throughout his career is that he almost seems to be like making decisions or coming out and making comments like based on what the perception of his is at, at that time, whether it be like LeBron leaving and going to a different team or whatever happens to be, or Rory talking about anything like to do with live or anything, any of this other stuff that's been going on recently. So um, yeah, obviously like both, ton of success both top players in their game and 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 deserve all the accolades and the the attention and respect that they get um but i sort of kind of view them in the same light in terms of like success that they've had in their sport and career i think they're kind of on a similar playing field i like that i like that yeah we hit a lot of the same points good that we see these golfers pretty much the same way um, this is the one that went in totally the opposite direction of of where you went with the comparison. So I, I I used James Harden. The golfer that I used him with is Tony Finau. And for the love of God, I can't think, I don't know how we we got these two golfers. I can't think of two polar opposite people than Finau and P. Reed. But here, here it is for me. Uh, James Harden is a legendary, legendary lover and enthusiast of off-court activities, uh, especially in the Houston area and in the Atlanta area. I think you know what I'm getting at there. Um, that's why he wants to go back there next year. And I feel like that hinders him from being like one of the best players in the world, the same way Tony Finau loves his off-course activities. Now, their off-course activities are obviously very, very different. Tony Finau is supporting, you know, his family and loves his family. And as a big family guy has often said, like family comes first, golf is second, like I'm a full-time dad, I'm a part-time golfer. And I love and respect that and don't care if that's sort of his ambition, but it has been said by, by many. And, and, you know, I'm, I, I may jump on this train that maybe if there wasn't so much family involvement on the road, it would lead to a better golf game. And again, I don't, you know, I, a family man now. So I, I get that all. Um, and, you know, he supports an entire family, just like James Harden supports a lot of dental school scholarships for young, for young women or whatever the stereotypical, like, uh, you know, the stereotypical story is, but that's where I sort of found them. And then when, you know, when you're talking about just tools on the course, like I, I already like gushed over Harden's like offense. I just think it's criminally underrated the same way. Like there, there really isn't, um, you know, there isn't really a weakness in Tony Finau's T2 green game. Oh, and then we'll just make his putting like James Harden's defense. And that's sort of where I saw the comp is like the off the off course, quote unquote, distractions of of different different varieties hinder their progress a little bit. 
Yeah, this was um it's interesting the directions that we decided to go because it was it was a little bit difficult. You would have to almost like I, and I kind of went back and forth as to what okay, am I gonna start with an NBA guy? Am I gonna start with a PGA guy? Okay, I'll pick the guy, then I'm gonna hone in on like a personality trait that I think yeah, is like which, recognizable. Which way'd you go? Which way'd you go first? Like how'd you start? Like, did you you say I wanna get I'm gonna take this golfer and then who do I find? Like which way did you start? So I did I did a couple different or different strategies but yeah I, I i would start i would start with the guy first and there was some nba guys i started with and there were some golfers i started with i, I kind oh, of yeah. split that 50 50 uh but i wanted to pick a golfer that i had like at least one definitely recognizable like strong trait that was similar to a recognizable strong trait from that nba player and then from there i would look for like secondary and third characteristics that I could maybe also like tie in together basically, but I was looking for that sort of like main contributing factor, like off the bat, but yeah, not easy, not easy to find. I, I at first I was like, man, I dove into, it. I was like, okay, this won't be that hard. And then I'm trying like doing, I'm like looking up into guys and things like that. I'm like, Oh, I'm not having a lot of success here. So it, it took me a little time, but I got there. Yeah. I, w- I went in the same direction. I had a hard time going one way or the other. I, I wanted to, my first thought was to go to the NBA guys and just find like big personalities. And that worked for some, like, I know I was like, all right, Marcus smart. Like who's just the craziest volatile person in the, in golf. And that one like matched itself. But the other ones, like to your point, like you're sort of looking for a feature here and a feature there. And then it becomes a little more clear once you like sort of stretch the research a little bit, but yeah, I enjoyed doing that. I'm glad we could sort of touch on, you know, with, a. Uh, with a designated event that didn't hit, um, you know, super climactic and these playoffs have been crazy. I'm glad we could keep the NBA relevant without involving, you know, the curse of the Celtics on, on surviving golf podcast nights. Um, yeah, that was fun. I like that. I'm sure we'll, we'll continue something like that weekly. Um, but let's get into what, what we get paid for here. The, uh, the golf of the week, we, uh, we come off the Wells Fargo classic, um, to your point, dominated by Wyndham Clark uh, on the last day, started off with a couple shot lead over Xander Schauffele, really didn't, um, you know, the entire back nine was pretty much settled. I know he was like five up going into like the last five holes or something. So it didn't really give us a chance to have that last stretch of closing holes make a big difference. But wow, what a crazy sport we uh, we talk about, huh? Like what we talked about, we sat here last week, Wyndham Clark was like the second favorite in the shortest field of the year. And needs like a 15 foot birdie putt to make the cut on the number. He's a hundred to one pre-tournament in this stacked field designated event and then cruises to his first win. Like we just cover a weird, weird, weird game sometimes. And this is, this is a pretty good example of that. Um, as I, yeah, as I mentioned, I, I didn't watch a ton. I mean, I liked, I like that course. It's just, I, I think it's pretty tough. And um, we, we touched on it on last week's pod, but like, we, we saw a lot of bo- bogeys out there, you know, guys had to sort of kind of bounce back a little bit. We saw kind of spread out um, ownership. I think, um, you know, there were a couple guys that were a little close. Cam, Cam Young is a guy who was obviously highly owned in our pool, highly owned in, in, the, in uh, you know, in the DFS world and, and one and dones and everything like that. And he's had like a couple shaky weeks. Unfortunately, like I, I really root for the guy. He's a guy that I like and, and like to see play. Um, so he's a little bit, you know, kind of curious as to what was to do with him. I finally hit a fade of the week. You know, I had speed. That's right. So um, that's right. I'm going to touch on him. He had the greatest back nine I've ever seen with like, I think it was six straight bogeys at one point, which is, you know, well, maybe not. Six, I, I know he finished at seven over. So I think he went six over on, on day two. And yeah, he was hurt. So today, I don't know if you saw that withdrew from the Byron Nelson with like a left wrist injury. Don't know if that's something that is, is precautionary for the for the PGA next week or affected oh. his play in the Wells Fargo, but never in it. And then the other uh, guy, how'd you feel about Morikawa this week? <laughs> well, not great. Obviously, I had him in our pool and he missed a cut. So, um, but, you know, I just wanted to even the field out a little bit. I was the only guy with two entries like left. That? So like that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, obviously, uh, he switched back. The putting continues to be an issue. Switched back to the saw grip or whatever it is. I think he's got now. So yeah. I don't know. He's been, he's been a little shaky all year. Honestly, kind of tough, tough guy to get right. Um, but at least I had Cantlay, so that that was one thing that went right for me there. But um, and I'm gonna just say congrats to you, Cam Young boys, because he was uh he was close and not hitting it. Thank don't you for worry. the speed. Thank you for the speed information. So uh, the reason I was sort of distracted there a second ago was 
I'm looking at the DK uh, DraftKings, like, you know, DFS roster and Spieth is still in there. And I saw him earlier. And then I'm looking at the DraftKings odds and I'm like, is Spieth like way down the board? Like, I'm just not seeing him. Like, you're through yeah, like a not... Like minute, not minutes, like an hour before we we came or we recording this okay, yeah. with a, I missed that. that he had left, left wrist pain um, and has been advised to rest. But again, I don't know if that's a, that's a PGA precaution, but anytime you're in the wrist area for a golfer, that's not exactly the greatest thing. But yeah, I'm I'm just a little confused. Like, so my my storylines that I took out, I already touched on Wyndham Clark. Like I said, we just it's just a weird sport sometimes. And then we, I already mentioned Ricky Fowler's back in the top fifty. Was very excited about that to to see him back. But sort of my big takeaway, apart from the actual tournament, was Rory McIlroy, Colin Morikawa, Jordan Spieth. All uh, Rory made the cut on the number, but again, like never looked like he was going to contend. Didn't end up finishing in the top 40. I know we were sort of mocking, like I'm never going to bet a Rory top 40 bet last week or something. <laughs> he was like one to 16 to finish in the top 40 pre-tournament outside the top 40. Um, yeah. What, what is going on with these guys? Like, I just don't understand like Morikawa. I almost have felt traditionally is just like too solid to to be playing like to be missing cuts like this but everything looks a little lost and the putting yeah like he just not only does he not make them but it doesn't look comfortable either like changing grips like week to week you know I, I don't really know what's going on and I don't know how to peg these guys from week to week we won't be seeing them this week but going into you know the major next week like guys that I think would would contend but I really don't know what to think of of those three specifically um you know not only this week but just the last few weeks have just been pretty pretty up and down. I don't know if that's like a full-fledged slump, but yeah, tough to get right. Yeah. Jason Day was another one who missed the cut. A little bit of a surprise right. for me there. Um, uh, uh, hit a ball in the 17th. Uh, I forget if it, it's his second to last hole. I forget if it was the eighth or the 17th. As one of the feature groups, he was on the number and dumped a ball in the water on the par three. I want to say that's probably the 17th hole, but yeah, his second to last hole and, and then couldn't make a long birdie putt to get back in on the number. But yeah, again, but even if he had made the cut, like he was in the featured groups, like never looked like he had the game to contend. Like, I don't know if, I don't know when, when you watch those feature groups, sometimes I don't know about you, but I just feel like, you know, if a guy has it, like if you're watching Rory and he's, you know, dumping every approach shot, like outside 40 feet, like, you know, he's just not sharp, like regardless of what his score is and regardless of if he gets cut or not. Um, yeah, just not, not the game to contend and not the game that we're accustomed to him seeing. It's so different because you, when, especially when you're watching on Thursday and Friday, they're obviously just picking featured groups and you're going to see the guys that you're going to see. So whether that's working in your favor or against you in terms of like the guys that you're on, it can be a very frustrating and like different experience. And to your point, like, yeah, if you're watching it live and you're, you've seen a, the guy play enough golf, you just know what it looks like when he has it and you know what it looks like when he doesn't. And um, it's such a different experience, obviously, from following it on your phone because like and i mentioned this before but like if you're on shot tracker on the pga tour app like you can't you got to just be like almost by yourself at home like you you can't devote enough attention to it Uh, where like you're actively like like tracking the shots in like a real way that's like meaningful that you're like gaining information out of it it's just like you're just kind of checking the score and things like that but yeah being able to watch live is obviously just a different um different experience but we'll see yeah some interesting stuff now going into um you know this week obviously but even the major coming up like if these guys are speed's a big one coming off that performance like like what's his ownership going to be uh and you know next week um and a couple other guys that i'm going to mention when we get to this week's um sort of tournament but yeah some a few question marks for sure all right let's get there let's get there i know you were itching Let's do it. The, uh, the AT&T Byron Nelson at TPC Craig Ranch in Texas. Um, a, a We're going to have a really different week than last week. Like this, this course, par 71, just over 7,400 yards. Um, you know, we talked about Quail Hollow, even though it didn't really end up playing like this, like Wyndham Clark was only a couple off, like the, the course record uh, is supposed to play quite difficult. Uh, this course, um, from what I understand and, and from, you know, the champion last year, uh, his performance like is a birdie fest, like an early season type course, way, way easier than what we've become accustomed to. Um, with, like you said, a, a, a star studded field at the very top, um, but then drops off pretty quickly, uh, and becomes, you know, a, a sort of non-designated field that we've become accustomed to. 
Um, but you know, when I'm looking at the course, I was sort of reading some of the stuff that was out there. Um, we got par threes that are very long, which are going to play difficult, but then, uh, we got par fours, two of which are, are drivable, which sort of make for some exciting stuff if you're watching live, but then the par fives play ridiculously easy, which sort of lead to the lower scores. We'll certainly be looking at a score, uh, you know, a cut line that'll be under par. Um, we, we have, a. We have a river that or a creek that runs through many holes on this course that I, I guess forces um, some decisions off tees and off approach shots as to whether to, you know, take on the creek and then try to hit it over or to have what's, you know, a forced layup. Um, but even from what I've read, even if you're playing short of the creek and a lot of holes, like many approach shots are just real easy to get to the green. Like the rough isn't punishing, not challenging off the tee. You don't have to be a bomber to, to have success here. Um, so we're looking at, you know, a birdie fest course, um, which in a uh, top heavy field does bring some volatility in there. Um, I personally have more comfort when the the harder the course gets, I have more comfort picking golfers than I do in this event um, and events like this, where there are a lot of birdies to be had. Um, so, I, you know, when I'm sort of thinking of, of who to look at, it's, it's not error minimization like it was last week. It's not a high floor. Um, I want guys that are that are hot right now, that are, that are playing, you know, in good form. And especially, I just want guys that have been putting well, um, because I think that's really what it's going to come down to. Like, everybody's going to hit fairways. Everybody's going to be able to hit greens. Who's going to make all the birdie putts that they see um, to contend and, and to obviously, you know, for for our big purposes to to make the cut? Um, I don't know if you're seeing the same thing when you're, when you're taking a look at this. Yeah, obviously uh much, much easier course than what we saw last week. And, and in general, from what we sort of tend to be seeing, especially after the, you know, during the Florida swing, a bunch of t- tough courses and then uh, you know, major championships. So this one's going to certainly play much easier. Uh, I believe some of the largest greens on tour. And I saw something also where, uh, you know, approach play is important every week, but I think there's only one other tournament uh, in the entire season where approach is more important than this course. So this course is ranked second. And I think that's just because um, the greens are so big and, and and the course plays so easy is that guys are going to be hitting greens, but where are you hitting those greens yes. in relation to the holes and that, you know, where obviously you need to make birdies at this course, especially as you mentioned on the par fives or some of the easiest holes they have, you, you need to be hitting your approach shots in positions where you're inside of 15 feet, where you're going to make a reasonable amount of putts and, and score on this course. And if you're not doing that, um, you, you're just not going to, you know, par is not going to be good enough. So, um, so that's sort of what I'm seeing there. Same sort of echo your sentiments in terms of like birdie fest is a little bit tougher. Cause like, you know, these guys like on easier courses, it just brings, you know, weaker players into field. It just, it, it just, it brings them into play. Right. Like, and any one of these guys can get hot with a putter, which is really extremely hard to predict. So, um, that's something you're going to be looking for obviously, but, um, you know, I think, I think you want to look at guys who you've seen that happen with. I have a couple names in mind sort of down the board, but you know, it, it, it could be a historically, I don't want to say like weaker player, I guess, but a, you know, lesser known player, but someone that you, you feel like is showing good form and, and has shown a couple hot, uh, spurs with a putter, um, previously in the year. So you're just hoping for something like that. I like it. I like it. All right, let's get into it. I got, I got a couple guys that I like, um, near the top. And I'll say just, you know, sort of off, I'm not going to be gambling on this. Scotty Scheffler, about a little over three and a half to one right now to win the next favorite at 12 to one. So just another one of like almost sort of the Mexico open where it's John Rahm and then the rest of the field doesn't guarantee that he will win. But like in Texas on this type of course, like I'd have a really tough time not seeing him win um, just because of his his game plus the field. But not fun to bet three, three you know, 360 uh, to win a tournament. So I'm not going to be doing that. Um, I like, uh, my first play will sort of be a little bit further down the board. Um, not, not all the way down here, but Taylor Montgomery, uh, at 35 to one to win. I don't think, again, if I think Scotty Scheffler is going to win, it doesn't mean it means I don't think anybody else is going to win, um, eight to one to go top five. And I sort of like that play. Um, and again, if we're talking about a guy where everybody's going to be hitting fairways and most people are going to be hitting greens, like I want the guy, I want guys, and I sort of touched on this earlier who have the best chance of making putts. And he is one of the elite putters on tour who also has the ball striking to sort of go with that. I don't think he's been in the greatest form recently, but, but again, on a less difficult course, um, I sort of trust his putting to, to make some of these and to, to get some birdies on the board. 
Um, so I like him at eight to one at top five or uh, 360 to be in the top 10. It's funny that he has the same odds to be in the top 10 as Scotty Scheffler has to win. Um, but I like him. And on that same vein, um, Adam Hadwin at, at 50 to one um, and 10 to one to, to be in the top five. Again, just I like I like good putters. He's another one who sort of is is in that category. Um, I've just seen way too many elite players. Um you know, stick the ball to 12, 15 feet for an entire marquee group round and just not make any of those putts. And that does nothing for me. And when I'm looking at the top of the board and I see like, like, I love Tom Kim. I love the iron play just doesn't make enough putts for me. Like Matsuyama is sort of a big chalk play this week. Sort of the same thing. Adam Scott, same thing. Um, yeah. The only person I'd sort of consider touching near the top of the board is Hatton because he, he can get pretty hot, but yeah, I just uh, with with all the volatility in play, I've been trying to see some of these discount guys. So I got Montgomery and I got Hadwin to start. Um, you seeing any of those guys? Did I just shit on a couple of your picks right there a second ago? Uh, no, actually, we're um, we're aligned, but I, I'll get to that a little bit more later. So at the top of the board, um, uh, I like Hatton as well. Although for some reason, I feel like he I prefer Hatton on like a tougher course. I don't know why I have that sort of like. Um, uh conception of him but that's just sort of how i feel i feel like he, he's he has super um super good long irons things like that i just feel like i, I don't know he, he can definitely get hot at times too but he would be probably the only guy as well towards the top that i would be looking at um i have another guy that i mentioned at the same number as taylor montgomery uh 35 to 1 that's gonna be seamus power uh he's quite honestly had a disappointing start to the 2023 season in comparison to how he finished the 2022 season very strong summer last year uh, and even a little bit into the fall swing he was playing incredibly well uh a bunch of top tens i believe if i remember correctly uh and we saw it pop up a little bit last week at quail hollow where he um his approach play was super strong he finished top 20 uh, i think he it was t18 with um was his final finishing position and and i think he's sort of hopefully trending uh, back towards that form that we saw him in last summer. So I think that's a fair number. And uh, he's a guy I'll be looking at sort of in that same range. A bit further down the board, I'm looking at a couple other guys. I have two. Uh, one is going to be Eric Cole at 80 to 1. And the other is going to be Dylan Wu at 90 to 1. Uh, both very strong, play, sort of underrated players, in my opinion. Cole in particular, we saw him, uh, obviously, the strong finish at the Honda. Uh, he his putter got hot that week. His approach play is consistent um, throughout. You know his pretty much young career. I mean he's he's um, sort of in his thirties, but he's a PGA Tour rookie. Um, and so I, we saw his putter sort of get hot there. And I think uh, if it happens again this week, I think the approach play is good enough to sort of get him there. And Dylan Wu has been incredibly consistent um, pretty much this entire season. He's like basically a top twenty machine uh j just sort of always you find him like in this range i think his the numbers are thrown out on him are a little bit um i, I think you're going to see them start to go down as the season sort of progresses on so he's another guy i i kind of look for every week just to see uh where he's at i like that i like that yeah i have a I have an eric cole play he's three 320 to be in the top 40 or sorry top 20 three, almost a little under three and a half to one. I love him there for the same reasons that you said. Um, I, uh, yeah, if we're getting into sort of down, down a little bit, I got Mackenzie Hughes, who was an 80 to one to win. That's, you know, that, that I don't know if is, is realistic, but seven to one to be in the top 10, again, an exceptionally good putter drains a lot of them. Um, I like that there. And then I, uh, I just saw Jimmy Walker is at 110 to one to win. Um, and has sort of been on like a super heater for his standards, like has not won, but I, I think was in the top 20 last week was at the top of the leaderboard a few weeks before that had given up the game, almost given up the game a few, a few years ago. Um, if I remember correctly, some of the live, uh, like the defections over to live opened up enough spots for him to come back into the FedEx cup. So he sort of was just like, well, if I, if I have to play, if I can play the FedEx cup, I'll play it. Um, and sort of, you know, came out of quitting to do that. I've sort of been in a good run of form. And, and again, I don't, I don't know. I don't think he's a great fit for this course other than just being in great form. Um, but just the, the 110 to one is a little disrespectful uh, considering that form, 
especially because I'm seeing Luke List at 100 to 1 right above him. And that's just not going, again, just not going to happen. Um, so I, I just like that straight on value. Uh, you know, I'll look at his top 20 price for sure on that. Um, but then the other the other sort of long shot that I have uh, is going to be Nate Lashley, who's uh, sort of a chalky play in DFS. But his, uh, again, top 20 price is is above three and a half to one. So so I like him there with that value, um, you know, if we're going sort of to the high numbers. Um, and then finally, finally. A name that I sort of see creep up on every easy course is Stuart Sink. He's 180 to one to win the tournament. And again, just like we'll never contend at a long course or a difficult course or a course where the rough is super punishing. But in these courses that are a little easier to get, he sort of sneaks his way up to, you know, the top of leaderboards, uh, at least early in the week. So that's a name that I'm going to look at. If he's 180 to one to win the tournament, like a first round top five or a first round leader is sort of a play that I'd play on him considering what those, those prices aren't out yet, but um, yeah, like he, he's going to be crazy high in that regard too. So I would definitely take a look at him for one of those early round bets or in DFS for the, for the first couple of days. Wow. I like that. All right. Good call on Stuart Sink. I did not know he was in the field. That's interesting to hear. Okay. Uh, yeah. He's a, he's a guy that I always like, and he like, I think even last year, like he found a run of pretty good form. Jimmy yeah. Walker is like a his Texas guy, right? So like yeah. I, I can I can yeah. see that as well. And uh, Lashley's a former tour, uh, winner on tour as well. So some good plays there. All right, I got one more way down the board. Uh, it's gonna be Pearson Cootie. Uh, he's uh, first. Just recently got onto the PGA Tour as well. He's we've seen a bunch of corn fairy starts. He's had. Um, Sort of like very hot and cold uh, corn fairy like finishes. He's had a couple wins mixed in with like a bunch of miscuts and things like that, which is not uncommon for a lot of the corn fairy guys when they, they sort of just seem to have like more volatile careers oftentimes. But he's sort of been that way a little bit on the PGA Tour as well. Uh, but I think, you know, he, he's he's got the sort of talent and the the pedigree to kind of come come full circle and just really have a good career. So uh, he's a guy I'm looking for. Just uh, make sure you get the right cootie. His brother Parker is also playing in the fields. And yeah. Not as Pearson good. Is the, not yeah, as good. Not quite as, not quite as good. Um, so just make sure you get the right one there. But yeah, he's uh, probably my, my one long shot that I'm looking at. He's like the Carson Young to the Cam Young, basically Parker. And Pearson. Like you want the correct right. P cootie this week, the same way you want the same C Young in most tournaments. That's right. Although there was a tournament, I believe recently where uh, it was one of the ones Cam Young missed. I think yeah. Carson Young made the cut. Yeah. It was like, Oh, come on. I meant the other, the other. Yeah. And I'm like, do we have to tell people that we had, they had to start specifying between the C Youngs, you know? Yeah. And one thing I'll say about Pearson cootie and like a lot of rookies um, they're so used to playing at flags in like core corn fairy events that aren't held in like super punishing courses that like birdie fest like this sort of fit into the game that they're used to, which is also why they struggle in a lot of the tougher courses. Like Pearson Cootie was at the bottom of the board uh, at Quail Hollow because, you know, there's just no room for error on some of these flags. And, you know, sometimes you have to play 30 feet out to, to not risk, you know, dumping into a hazard or being on the short side rough. Like this is a course that won't be as punishing in that regard. So it, it may be nice to play some of these younger guys um, that are used to just playing super aggressive and searching out birdies. And, and Pearson Cootie is absolutely one of those guys. I like, I like that play a lot. Cool. All right. You, you got a fade or what? I do. You got, I, you, <laughs> nice. I'm glad you brought that up. I got two. The numbers aren't out yet for the actual odds, um, but my two fades of the week, I got two. Um, I'm going to go with Maverick McNeely and Matt Kuchar. And uh, both of them, frankly, like I'm just going against the grain with these two. I didn't really know in, in a field like this where it's pretty top heavy, it's tough to fade the top guys. Like I just don't see, I don't see even the guys that I don't like to win the tournament at the top of the board. Like I know I mentioned Tom Kim, like that's probably just too good to make miss the cut. Um, but Maverick McNeely, again, um, great putter, which again, doesn't lend himself to failure at this course. Uh, he's already burned me once trying to fade him. Um, but again, I, I just don't, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't played up to his potential and maybe the shoulder will creep in a little bit. Um, and, and then finally, you know, my reasoning for that and Kuchar is just their winning odds are just a little crazy for me. Like Matt Kuchar is above Taylor Montgomery, above Adam Scott, above Seamus Power, above all these guys that, in my opinion, just have way more game than him. 
and I know he excels on on better or sorry on on more gettable courses. Um, but again, I'm just at those odds uh, with you know what his miscut number will eventually be because of the the respect he's being shown. Um, I think will be great value, and I just don't super like the way he plays, and I don't super like watching him. So all of the above will be reason enough for me to root against him this week. Kucha was close to making the cut for my NBA comparison, but I, I couldn't quite match him with somebody. I was, I was having a hard who time. Who doesn't tip their waiters or like, I'm just trying to, you yeah. know, it's like notorious. <laughs> like, I don't know. Okay, that's good. Uh, okay, I, I have one fade for me. It's going to be Hideki, actually. Uh, I mean, you mentioned the chalk before. He's the, gonna chalky be incredibly, the chalky this week. He's going to be incredibly popular. Yeah, um, I'm just a little nervous. The, um, I was trying to dig a little deeper on him. We saw the withdrawal at the um, the match play. He's had that lingering like sort of neck injury. He withdraws more often than any player uh, like on the PGA Tour. And I think in particular, like the week before a major is where we sometimes see that, like if he gets off to a bad start on Thursday, like he might just call it. Like especially if he wants to just get over there and sort of get prepared for for the following week. So. I mean, obviously, more than likely that doesn't happen, but I'm just, I'm just saying a little, a little, anytime these guys get as popular as they get, it just makes me always a little bit nervous and tough to sort of split hairs up at the top. But if, if I had to pick one, he would be the guy I'd go with. Yeah, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. I always get, I was going to mention this earlier, like I almost sort of get uncomfortable when I see like a guy like Hatton at only 12 to one. Like, I, I, like you mentioned liking him on harder courses. Like I sort of like him when he's down in the 50s. I sort of like Jason Day when he's down in the 40s and 50s to one. Tom Kim, same thing. Seeing these guys like below 20 to one is weird. I almost feel like this, the same for Hideki in that like I liked him better when he was being shown the the amount of disrespect he was being shown early in this year when he was like in the 80 to 90 to one to win tournaments at 22 to one with the injury concern baked in. Like I don't like that as a play and I, and I sort of like that as a fade um, for all the reasons that you said too. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. Nice, dude. Well, that was that was a good little uh, a good little mix of basketball, a good little mix of golf. Um, you know, always good to get get the golf going this week. Um, and then, yeah, we we sort of touched upon it a lot, but PGA Championship next week, so back into major season. Um, let's get through sort of a tricky week this week. Hopefully, hit hit some of these outrights and be able to brag going into the major. But good time tonight. Any uh, any parting thoughts before we go? No, yeah, the NBA stuff was fun. I think it's good to, for us to kind of mix it up like that, you know, throw in something a little bit different, keep it with the current, like, what's going on in sports at this time, I think is great. And we'll see. Maybe we got a couple things for next week. It's major week, as you as you mentioned. So maybe we'll a possible guest. We'll see what we can do. But uh, always good to sort of mix things up and, and keep it fresh. So, yep, nice. always a pleasure. Nice. All right. See everybody next week. Good stuff. Peace.